Good morning, and welcome to Mayflower. We're so glad to have you here. We would like to begin our service with um, a welcome from Rachel Haddad, who has been a member of our search committee. Good morning. Nice to see everyone today. As Rachel said, my name is Rachel Haddad, and I am pleased to serve as vice moderator in the year ahead. I was also part of the search committee. And on behalf of that group, we are so excited to welcome Pastor Sean and his family to Mayflower this season. Um, if, if you haven't already had a chance to do so, please make a point of saying hi to them. Thank you so much. So lovely to have all of you here, and welcome to Pastor Sean. Yeah, um, welcome and good morning. I want to again express thanks on behalf of myself and my family for all the warm welcomes that we've received, the love and support. We really, really feel uh, loved and welcomed. So thank you for that as a congregation, as a community. We're excited to be here. Uh, as well, here in the announcements, you may be seen on the screens go by. Uh, have a lunch with me. Have a dinner with me. I want to have a meal with each and every one of you, get to know you, hear your stories. Um, hear where you're coming from and hear a bit about your life. So there's a sign-up system for this. Uh, you know, it, it's, I don't, it, talk to uh, some folks in the office and we'll make it happen soon this fall. Uh, I'd love to have a meal with each and every one of you. And I'd like to say how great it is to be here with you on this Sunday morning here in the house of God. While you're sitting in the pews, please take a moment to sign the friendship register. Um, if you would like to receive mailings from Mayflower, please include your mailing address so that we can enter that into the database. We are creating a welcome center out in the atrium, like Sean referred to. That is going to be the place to do all of our sign-ups come this fall. So please find that area um, during the cookie time. Thank you for wearing name tags this morning. We thought this would be a great way for um, Sean and Sarah and the girls to get to know you. But I know some of us, it's going to be great for us to get to know each other that way as well. So when you come in on Sunday mornings, if you could put your name on a name tag and when you leave, just put it back in the basket and we'll clean it again for next Sunday. I have an update regarding our audiovisual and AV system installation. The AV system should be installed within the next month. All of those parts are on their way and ready to go. However, the audio system is a different story. It is falling prey to all of the shipping issues, and we currently are told that December 8th, the equipment for the new audio system will be shipped from England. I know. So we are thinking maybe January. So we are trying really hard to speak very clearly into our microphones as we wait upon that new system. Prayer cards will be collected during the first hymn today, and Pastor Ruth will be available for personal prayer up front. I'd now like to invite Dr. Julia Brown for our moment of music. have a show and tell this morning so it's been fun for the last two weeks to work with this group that's up here playing the bells this morning uh, it's called our summer handbell group and uh, it's to get you excited about joining the handbell choir in the fall you can see how much fun we have um, so we have had our white chapel bells that came from england like our audio equipment apparently um, and they are the highest, the most beautiful bells built, and this is what they sound like, yeah? And then later in the service, you're going to hear our chimes, which we purchased earlier this year. See, it's just a different sound, different quality. And then a few weeks ago, we purchased mallets, which look like this, or like this, and you saw the bass bells using those mallets um, for this prelude piece, if you were paying attention. 
So uh, we have lots of new equipment. We have a chime choir that Abby will be um, working with this fall for elementary age kids. So you can look forward to that. Um, also new are the uh, coverings for our handbell tables up here. That beautiful brown corduroy that you see was uh, donated and sewn um, and given to us by Penny Kendraka, who is here ringing with us this morning. Yes. <laughs> so that's to give us a classy look and to take good care of the bells that are on those tables. Um, also today, we have a trio singing, Abby, Melissa, and Aaron. Um, they worked on this piece, How Can I Keep From Singing, uh, during our shutdown. It was before, uh, it was at the time when we were sending in videos and cobbling them together and, and uh, you know, singing into our pillows and our closets and submitting videos. Um, so it's wonderful to finally hear them in person this morning um, at the time I mean how can I keep from singing it's basically a song about God being with us through it all how can I keep from singing and uh, during COVID when singing was not even allowed and was considered a dangerous act those words uh, uh, you know there's a whole new meaning to that and um, so now we say it with joy how can we keep from singing Good morning. If you would turn to page two in your bulletin, please, for the call to worship, we will do that responsively. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Come, let us worship the Lord. Let us pray. O Holy Lord, we give you our praise and our adoration, and we celebrate this day that you have made. May we not take your goodness for granted. Be with us as we worship together this morning. Lead us to see, hear, and feel your presence in our midst. 
Transform us to be more like you today and always. Amen. Please be seated. I'd like to now invite the Wendland family forward. And as they come up, I might mention to you in the bulletin, it says grandparents. So we apologize for that typo. Let's just say godparents. You might notice they don't look grandparent age. It would be remarkable if they were. So uh, come on up, if you will. Hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. All authority on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Obeying the words of our Lord Jesus and confident of his promises, we, the church, baptize those whom God has called. Sometimes willingly, sometimes not. (laughs) That's all right. In baptism, God claims us and seals us to show that we belong to him. God frees us from sin and death, uniting us with Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. By water and the Holy Spirit, we are sealed as members of the church, the body of Christ, and we are joined to Christ's ministry of love, peace, and justice. So on this Sunday morning, it is my pleasure to present to you Dean Thomas Wenland, son of Lindsay and Andrew Wenland, to receive the sacrament of baptism. Dean and Lindsay. Nope. Got that one mixed up. Apologies. <laughs> Lindsay and Andrew, do you desire that Dean be baptized? Lindsay and Andrew, will you be Christ's faithful disciples, obeying his word and showing his love? Relying on God's grace, do you promise to live the Christian faith and to teach that faith to your child? And to the godparents. Do you promise through prayer and example to support and encourage Dean to be a faithful Christian? And to the congregation, we represent the universal church that spread over every corner of the earth. And in receiving Dean, we promise to guide and nurture him with love and with prayer and to encourage him to know and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in response, we as the congregation say, With joy and thanksgiving, we welcome you into Christ's church, for we are all one in Christ. We promise to love, encourage, and support you, to share the good news of the gospel with you, and to help you know and follow Christ. Dean, buddy, you ready? It's your time. Can I pick you up, bud? Is that all right? Okay, here we go. Dean, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Good job, buddy. Dean, child of the covenant, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism, and you are now marked as Christ's forever. Church, Dean has been received into the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. God has made him a member of his household to share with us in the ministry of Christ. And so now, I know it's a little wet. 
<laughs> and so now, let us welcome the newly baptized. You want to go say hi to everybody? Let's go say hi. We're going to walk around and say hi, okay? Say hi. You can touch his foot. Say hi. This is the church. Good morning. This is a time in our service where we have the children's message for all children in preschool through grade school. So if you are in preschool or grade school and you want to come forward and join me here at the front. This summer we have been doing the symbols around the church and today is the last in our series. And I want to take a moment to thank Mary Vandergoot for suggesting this and for giving all this wonderful information. Thank you, Mary. Good morning, friends. So like I said, we have been talking about all of the symbols inside our sanctuary this summer. We've talked about the windows. We've talked about the baptismal font. We've talked about 144 lights in our chandeliers. Today, I saved the best for last. There is... A pine cone somewhere in our church. Can anyone find where the pine cone is in our church? Not the one in my hand, but the one in our church. Charlie, you found it. Way up top. If you look at the very top, that is a pine cone. And you really wouldn't think much about it until you start researching what a pine cone means in the church and in the Christian faith. So a pine cone means two things. It means eternal life and it means endurance. Because in the fall, all the leaves fall off the tree, don't they? Except for pine trees. They're called evergreens. And so when you take eternal life and evergreen, it means the same thing. We are forever alive as Christians in God. And so these pine cones keep the seeds safe inside from extreme cold or fire or anything like that. So then the next symbol of a pine cone is endurance. Because if you look up at the pine cone up there, is it a closed pine cone or an open pine cone? It's closed like this, so it's keeping its very precious seeds safe. But when a pine cone knows it's okay and safe to let the seeds out, it opens. And so I like to think that that pine cone up in front of our sanctuary means that God has his protection all around us while we're here together and that he builds us to be stronger and stronger so that when the time is right, we can open our pine cones and let all of God's love flow around us. All right, so now you guys know more than anything, 
that pine cone up there is God protecting you. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we are so thankful for you and your gift of symbolism and your gift of love. May you protect us and may you teach us to endure. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, friends, we are all going to stand up and we are all going to go together to Sunday school with Mrs. Coster. This morning's reading is from John 2, chapter, uh, verses 1 through 11, and can be found in your pew Bible on page 751. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. 
Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So it was a Friday. My college roommate, lifelong friend, was getting married the very next day. Now, I was a groomsman in his wedding, and so my wife Sarah and I had arrived the day beforehand to attend the rehearsal dinner and the, the, the wedding rehearsal and all of that. Things were not going very well. The bride's mother and stepmother were at war about who was going to sit in the front row of the pew during the wedding. And it was genuinely up in the air as to whether or not the bride's father would even show up that next day. There was plenty of drama to go around, and it was tense, and no one really had a handle of what was happening. Now, it was that Friday, and it was a few hours before the rehearsal was supposed to start. So I took the groom out to go fishing, because that's just the helpful kind of guy that I am. And we got out of there. And when we got back from fishing... It was time for the rehearsal to be starting, but no one was in charge. Everyone was sort of wandering around confused, and it became clear that they had forgotten to get a wedding coordinator. So uh, all of this is on the brink of disaster. People are smiling, but inside, uh, chaos is rupturing. We don't really know uh, how this is all going to get put together. Now, at the very last minute, thankfully, my wife, Sarah, who is both very gracious and very capable, uh, started making some decisions and started telling some folks to do this or that and pretty quickly became the impromptu wedding coordinator. And from there, uh, things fell into place and it all ended well enough. They got married, but uh, it was close. It might have been a disaster there. In our scripture passage for today, we also had a wedding that almost goes off the rails. And here in this story we've heard, we get an inside peek of almost a disaster. But what happens in this story tells us way more about Jesus than about that wedding day itself. You see, the story of Cana is about far more than weddings and wine. It's a story that's actually loaded with meaning. And it's a story that makes this sweeping commentary about the world into which Jesus is coming. They're out of wine is not merely a panic statement about a wedding that's about to go wrong. It's a deeper statement about the world that is now meeting its Messiah as he performs his very first miracle. New wine cannot be poured into old wineskins. The old is gone, the new has come, and when the new comes, it is remarkable how generous God really is. So to begin today, I'd like us to quickly revisit the story as we look at a few key details. Now to understand a bit of background here, uh, running out of wine at a wedding was a major disgrace in that ancient context. 
in that culture, uh, there were many aspects of a wedding, like, like gift giving, for example. And they were about bringing honor to the couple and to their families. And so anything that might bring them public shame would have been really harmful, probably more so than we might think of it today. And that helps us understand why the servants were so concerned about running out of wine. The wine is gone. That's not just an embarrassing situation. That's not just a mistake by a wedding planner. That was a crisis that would bring long-term dishonor to the host. Well, another detail, uh, we're told that the wedding is in Cana. Now, Cana was a town that was close to Nazareth. And so you might wonder, why is Jesus at this random wedding? Well, uh, since it's so close, these weddings would draw people in from all over the region. It would be very natural to go to one of that. And also the the scripture mentions that uh, one of Jesus' disciples, Nathaniel, is from Cana. That's his hometown. So it's actually very natural that Jesus, his family, his disciples would be at this wedding. So there they are at this wedding. And Jesus' mother Mary tells her son about a problem. They have no more wine. And Jesus responds, Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Now I want to quickly say, uh, in English, starting a sentence with the word woman, not a good idea. I advise you don't do that. But in the original language, the word Jesus uses there is simply a formal word. It might be similar to us in English today saying miss or madam. There's no negative overtones, but still it seems weird. Why is Jesus addressing his mother with such a formal word? Well, it seems he's pushing back on her a bit. She's nudging him. And remember, at this point in his life, his mother wouldn't have thought to ask him to perform a miracle. This is his first miracle. But she's asking him to step up to solve the problem, to take some responsibility. She's kind of ordering him, really. And that this adult Jesus, as he begins his public ministry, has to redefine his relationship with his mother just a bit. He's no longer just under her authority But he also has to act under the authority of God, who has determined what he must do. So Jesus' response to his mother's request is probably a little inflexible, not exactly rude. But the text explains why. His mindset is elsewhere. My hour has not yet come, he says, in reference to his important work on the cross. And here's the interesting thing. We as readers of John's gospel look and we see Mary's request for Jesus to do something. And we see the irony in it because we know how it ends. Someday soon, he would do more than just a little something. More than just save a wedding. He would act on behalf of a world that had run out of joy. Well, in the story, at first Jesus is a bit resistant, but eventually he's willing to do something. And so uh, his mother says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. An important detail we, we need to catch here also is that there are six stone jars. And he's going to turn those jars, uh, water, into wine. So he tells the servants to fill them all the way up to the brim. But these aren't just some random water jugs. These are stone jars that were used for purification washings as the guests would come into the wedding to make sure that they were complying with the cleanliness requirements and purification requirements of the Jewish law. They would use this particular jug full of water. Now, each of these jugs, there were six of them. Each of them holds 20 gallons, at least, maybe more. So when Jesus turns this water into wine, we're talking about 600 bottles of wine at least, maybe even up to 1,000, like lots and lots and lots of wine, an abundance of wine. So the staff take this newly uh, water turned into wine 
And they bring it to someone who's in charge at the wedding, maybe the banquet host or something like that. And this person tastes the new wine and makes a very telling pronouncement. He explains, you know, common sense is that at, at a banquet, you would start with the very best wine you got. Start with the high quality stuff when palates are sensitive. And then after people have had several glasses, <laughs> you know, that's when you can move on to the cheaper stuff. No one will notice. But this, this wine, this is some really good stuff being brought out at the end of this wedding. This is better than anything we've had so far. So we have a story where Jesus makes a big change, turning water into wine and lots and lots of really good wine. And if we today want to understand and receive what it means, I think we need to talk a little bit about abundance and we need to talk about transformation. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is recorded as saying, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And that statement, it seems to me, is really what this story of the miracle at Cana is all about. We have water, and water is this basic necessity of life. And it's changed into wine, which is a symbol not just of life, but a symbol of abundant, joyous, celebrative life. In this miracle... We have a story that points us towards Jesus transforming the world. His very first miracle uncorks the days of God's abundant blessings. So this transformation that's going on is not so much something bad to something good. You might think of Dr. Jekyll turns into Mr. Hyde. Or for the Disney fans, you might think of Beauty and the Beast, where Beast turns into a prince. That, that's not what we're talking about here, but of course God can change people in those ways, and he does. Now this story is about a different sort of transformation, where God takes something that is good and pure and necessary, water, and turns it into something even better. Now remember, I mentioned that these jugs were there, so that the guests could comply with the Jewish law. They could be properly washed and purified. And so Jesus, by taking this water and turning it into wine, makes a very powerful statement. Just like that water, the Old Testament law is good. It is pure. It is necessary. But Jesus came to transform the law into something more. Something that's not just necessary, but something that's truly joyful. Of course, the law is not ugly or bad, but the law of Moses was not enough. It's not the whole story. And Jesus came to transform it, to, to put God back into it and into our experience of it. To make it more than plain water, but to really turn it into wine. To give it texture, to give it taste. To let the law warm your spirit, to let it free you to laugh and to love, like a good bottle of wine might. So this is not about turning a sinner into a saint. We get that in the next chapter of John with Nicodemus being told to be born again. No, this transformation at the wedding in Cana points us towards something that you know, happens that we all experience. Right. Those of us whose lives are basically on the right track, you know, those of us who have a, a stable faith in God, we treat our neighbors with respect. We obey God's commandments. And the message for us like that today. Is this. The water that is good and nourishing and life sustaining can be more. We can embrace joy. Not just a sense of duty, because of course it is good to obey the commandments. But there's more to following Jesus than obedience. There's abundance. Again, Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. 
Not just life, but life abundantly. Now, here's where you and I need to be sure that we hear this message in the right sort of way. Because the abundant life that God offers us does not mean that he promises you material wealth. The abundant life is not the same thing as a comfortable middle class life with white picket fences, great restaurant reservations, and interesting vacations. No, those can be really good things, but to be frank with you, some days I wonder if my middle class life might actually be somewhat hindering me from the abundant life in Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to live comfortably, not necessarily. It doesn't mean we're going to avoid pain and suffering. It doesn't mean that your life won't have its share of unpleasant tasks and toil and boredom. That's not what this is about. The abundant life means that when the water of our lives become wine, when Jesus touches our hearts, well, our lives can have richness and meaning and depth. It means that no matter your situation, ups and downs, you can truly enjoy living because you've been given new life from God. I don't know about you and what your last few years have been like, (laughs) but I've had periods where I have just longed for joy. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has turned the water of our lives into wine. And the abundant blessings of God are available to us in him. Well, in the last verse from our passage, John makes an important connection between the sign of turning water into wine and belief. So as we heard in verse 11, let me read it again. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and the disciples believed in him. You know, if you look at the text, John is careful not to call this a miracle. I mean, it is a miracle, of course, but John is intentionally choosing the word sign. Well, why is he doing that? A sign points past itself to something greater. And John wants us to see the story of Jesus turning water into wine and look past it to see the one who's doing it. The word who became flesh. God himself has come to bring us life and life abundantly. So sisters and brothers, by faith, Believe this good news. Believe that Jesus brings abundant life. And believe that Jesus can transform anything. And finally, we would do well to take heed of the words of Jesus' mother. Do whatever he tells you. Amen. I recently read that it's thought that Gandhi was asked by the missionary Stanley Jones, Mr. Gandhi, though you quote the words of Christ often, 
Why is it that you appear so adamantly to reject becoming his follower? Gandhi replied, Oh, I don't reject Christ. I love Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike Christ. A Christian is defined as a person who believes in Jesus Christ and follows his teachings. So as Gandhi points out, the belief in Jesus does not have value unless it's paired with the heart and the behaviors of Jesus. And if you know only a bit about Jesus' life, you know that it's based on giving. Giving of his time, his love, and his life. So as we come to this time of offering, may we ask ourselves, are we living our lives in such a way that giving is the source of all that we do?
precious Lord, we come together this day to worship you, praise you, and grow to be more like you. May your Holy Spirit fill us so that we are constantly seeking new ways to give to the world and the people around us. May we truly live as Jesus by being in relationship with you, with open minds and hearts that can easily be prompted to give when people and situations come into our paths. May it not be us that receives the glory but you, God. We ask this all in your loving name. Amen. You may be seated. It is now time for our congregational prayer. Um, But I did want to mention, if you did not fill out a prayer card this morning, but you would like some personal prayer, after the postlude, I will be up front, happy to pray with you. And before we um, head into our time of prayer together, I did want to make a small announcement um, about Phil and Murray Idema. Many of you know and love them. Uh, Phil will be entering into surgery this afternoon for a brain tumor they just found. So as you go about your day today, you leave church and you go to lunch you go home um if you could just keep them close to your heart um and pray for them today i'm sure that would be a huge blessing to them so let us join our hearts together in prayer oh lord thank you thank you that transformation and abundant life are available to us now and always it's with great joy this morning that we have uh, experiences baptism precious little dean and it's such a reminder to each of us of our own baptism our own joining into the family of god and how precious and holy that is that we get to worship together we get to be joined together in this supernatural way we thank you for that lord we acknowledge that this week many 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 students are heading back into the classroom and we pray lord for your blessing on them for the teachers the administrators and all of these learners, that you will be with them in this new season. And remind us, too, as you remind us of our baptism this morning, remind us that we are all learners and help us to grow in our love and knowledge of you. Help us to have a teachable spirit and a humble heart that we can see, feel, and experience you every day. We acknowledge, Lord, for many this is a season of grief. We pray for the Bauer family as Roger and Willa passed away six days apart from each other. Thank you for their legacy of their long marriage together and legacy here in this place. I can picture them in the place they normally would sit. Be with their family as they grieve. And many of us are grieving, have had lost this summer. So we pray for your supernatural comfort. Wrap your arms around us as we grieve and let the waves just come as they do. We feel the feels. And for those who are experiencing illness, in treatments, we think especially of Chris Condon, who just found out she has six more months of chemo. She thought she was done. So we pray for your healing hand on her and on their family as they enter these next six months of treatment. And Lord, of course, we think of Phil and Murray. We just pray for your hand of healing on them, on him specifically. Just be with those doctors, the surgeons, all of the staff that are surrounding him. We pray desperately for a solution, for healing, for a bright future for them. We pray, as Murray is a warrior, we pray that you just meet her in this tender place of comfort. We know you can do that, Lord. We know there are many of us here this morning that are praying for that miracle, praying for that water to be turned into wine. So, Lord, show up in our lives in an amazing way and help us to see the miracles all around us. And as we desperately seek whatever that is that we're seeking, Lord, be with us in that place. We acknowledge that this is a broken world. Remind us that we are part of the family of God, a family that prays for peace and prays for your kingdom to come. So let us all join in one voice and pray that prayer that Jesus taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Nor is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever. Amen.
as is my practice and my pleasure, I'd like to send you off with a benediction this Sunday morning. And many have asked, am I going to sing again? Uh, you'll have to come back each week. It'll be a surprise each week. God has called you this week, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. We go forth in the name of Christ. Thanks be to God.